Well, this morning I'm going to start a new series entitled Give It Away. Give It Away. You might be wondering, what is he talking about? Give what away? Well, you're about to find out. But I'm going to challenge all of us in this room this morning to live with the idea of giving it away. When it comes to giving something away, you have to start with a simple premise. If you're going to give something away, you have to have what you are giving away before you can give it away. Pretty simple, right? I mean, if you're going to give something away, you have to have it in order to give it away, right? It's really, really easy. That's kind of where it starts. And then number two, if you're going to give something away, you have to want to give it away. I mean, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of us who have stuff that we could give away, but we really don't want to give it away. But if you're going to give something away, you have to want to give it away. And then number three, if you're going to give something away, you want to know that what you give away will affect the person that you're giving it to, right? I mean, you want to just know that you're not just going to give it away just to give it away. I mean, you have this stuff that you want to give away, and you want to give it away, but you want to know how it's going to affect the person that's getting it. Right. It's like, man, it's awful lot of wordiness. Let me give a couple of illustrations. Number one, let's use money for the sake of illustration. That's a pretty simple way to go. Let's use money for the sake of illustration. Number one, you can't give what you don't have. I mean, wouldn't it be really cool? I've used this illustration in years past for different ways and shapes and ideas. But, you know, how many would like to be a multi-gazillionaire? Yeah, thank you. I, finally, I got one honest person. I have no idea what a gazillionaire is, but let's just assume it's way out there. It's millionaire, billionaire, trillionaire, and there's a bunch of other air, and then there's a gazillionaire. I mean, you just have so much money. I mean, you take a bath in money. You, take, you lay down in money. I mean, there's money, 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 money. The only problem is, if you were a multi-gazillionaire, you could do whatever you wanted in this world's ideas, right? I mean, you could buy the nicest cars, nicest houses. I mean, you could build buildings. You could, I mean, you could just give it. We could have Millionaire Sunday. If you come to church, I'll make you a millionaire. I mean, like that one. I mean, that'd be really cool, right? Millionaire Sunday. I'm a multi-gazillionaire. I'll give a million dollars. You, you, hey, you bring a visitor, you get two million. You know, we can have all kinds of fun with it. <laughs> Some of you are like, man, this guy's off his rocker today. But I'm just telling you, if I was a multi-gazillionaire, we could do that, right? I mean, there's no limit to what we could do. There's only one problem. Not a multi-gazillionaire or trillionaire, billionaire, millionaire, or hundredaire. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just, it's just the reality. I can't give what I don't have have. And number two, if I did have it, would I really want to give it away? I mean, it's really easy to come up here and say, well, if I had it, I'd give it to you. Right. I mean, some people, I mean, they hold on to those little, I mean, they can pinch a dime into, into a quarter. I mean, they're good at it. They're not giving it away. Would I really want to give away if I did have it? But now let's use that same illustration with our faith in Jesus Christ. You see, if I say that I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, that Jesus lives within me, and as the Holy Spirit guides and directs me, the reality of that is this. If I have it, I want to share it. But the reality is also that if I don't have Christ, I can't give away what I don't have. And when it comes to my faith in Jesus Christ, if we have it, we should want to give it away. And if you do have faith, do you want others to know about it? Do you want others to, to know the blessings of walking with Jesus, to have the, the Holy Spirit residing within you? 
When I talk about give it away, I'm talking about our faith. I'm talking about the salvation relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Are we willing to give it away? I hope that over the next several weeks we'll get the idea that this is something that God wants for us. In fact, He not only wants us to do that, He has commanded us to do that, and He's given us the wherewithal to do that. So let's first of all talk today about the importance of sharing our faith. And today I want to look at three aspects of it. The mandate, the model, and uh, if I can remember my third M, which I don't normally alliterate. The, uh, yeah, model, mandate, and motive. We'll get there. So first of all, the importance of sharing our faith. Um, I have to admit that several years ago, in fact it was probably going on 7 14, 15 years ago, uh, I had a phone call from a church that asked me to come and candidate as a pastor there. And uh, for about 45 minutes in a meeting, I basically answered questions about my faith in Jesus Christ, what I thought salvation was, what I thought it meant to be, have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and so on and so forth. And uh, when it was all said and done, um, it was kind of an interesting conversation. Because I went around the room and I said, hey, we're talking about salvation. Can we just talk about when's the last time we shared it? When's the last time we led someone to the Lord? And uh, so we went around the room and sadly to say 12 people in the room, not one person had led someone to the Lord or even shared their faith in the previous decade. Many of them had been 30 and 40 years. That was the honest to God truth. One guy was sitting around, he was almost 70 years old. He goes, well, I led my son to the Lord. And I asked him a question. I said, well, how old is your son now? He goes, well, he's, he's, he's in his 50s. And I said, well, well, how old is he when you led him to the Lord? Oh, he was five or six. That was the last time he had shared his faith. Was 40-some years earlier. May that not be said of us. And it happened to be that that same week that I was there at this church candidating, that Jacob, I'll bring on you just for a moment, as I do once in a while, but our next door neighbor in Tippecanoe, Indiana, there was a little boy there, and David or Jacob just went up to him and said, do you know Jesus? And uh, this little boy said, I'm not sure that I do. He goes, I don't know what you're talking about. And he goes, well, are you saved? And the boy says, I'm not sure I do. And I don't know if I have every aspect of the story right, but Jacob, over a period of several weeks, began to invite him to church and tell him about Jesus and finally one day, David or Jacob asked him, do you want to get saved? He says, yeah, I think I do. And David, or I keep saying David, Jacob led him to the Lord. And I shared this story with her friends. I said, you know, guys, it's really one thing to know salvation, but it's quite something else to share it. I hope that we are people who, when God gives us those opportunities, when he opens up a door, that we take a step through it and share our faith. I can say that with my kids, that they've seen it, they've done it. All of us should be doing that. There's times that we do it well, and there's times that we don't do it well. But we need to be more consistent as a church in sharing our faith. So the question is, I can't, first of all, I can't give away what I don't have. But more importantly, if I do have it, why would I not give it away? Why would I not give away? Do I even want that for others? So first of all, let's look at the mandate. The mandate really comes from uh, Mark chapter 16 
and verse 15. It says, Then he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He says, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, we all understand that that word go, it only implies to those who are preachers, evangelists, you know, on TV, radio pastors, I mean, right? I mean, deacons, Sunday school teachers. That's for all of them, right? Or is it for all of us? It's for all of us. If we know Jesus Christ is our Savior and the Holy Spirit lives within us, He's saying, you're part of this command to go to all the world. And two thoughts came to my mind about the word go. You cannot expect people to come to you. He doesn't say, wait here until everybody who wants Jesus comes to you. He doesn't have the word wait. He has the word go. So the idea is that you need to go. Or as it literally means in the Greek, as you are going about your business, as you are going from point A to point B to point C to point D and back A to N, as we are about our daily business, God is going to give us opportunities. Here's what I find is a problem. We're all busy. In our minds, we are busy. Busier than we've ever been as a culture. I mean, we have all these tools that are supposed to help us. Smartphones and iPads and gadgets and You know, we can speed everything up, and yet we still don't have time for what is important, it seems. We're all busy. Is anyone not busy? We all have our things to do and things that we are trying to get done on a regular basis. And if we expect people to come to us wanting to know the answers of life, we might be waiting a long time. That's why he says, you go. And here's what I also, secondly, is that you have to go past your neighbor to go across the ocean. You ever thought about that? You know, sometimes we think of a missionary as being somebody who goes away from where they live to go reach people on the other side of the globe. Do you realize that? If you know Jesus Christ, you are a missionary right there where you live. You will reach people that I can never reach. You will reach people that no one else could ever reach. You are a missionary where you live, in your apartment building, in your community, in your town, in your workplace. You are a missionary, amen? God has called you to share the gospel with the people that come into your sphere of influence. Don't wait for them to come to you. You go to them. Because if you won't do it here, you'll never do it anywhere else. You know people that I will never know. You know people that someone else in the church will never know. What are you doing to share your faith with them? God has given us a mandate to go. And really, as I've said many times, it's the idea of investing and inviting. We invest in the lives of others so that we can invite them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? Investing. That means we're taking time. And it always not, not, doesn't always happen overnight. It doesn't always happen immediately. Sometimes it's years and years and years of investing and, and sharing the truth and talking to them about the Bible, talking to them about the Word of God. And finally one day the light switch goes on and they say, oh, I get what you're talking about. That's happened for several of you in this congregation. You heard and heard and heard and heard. Then finally one day God just worked in your life in such a way the Holy Spirit made it all make sense to you. And you responded in faith. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I command you, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
It's relationships. Investing in others. Being obedient to the Great Commission. And let me just say this. We know the Great Commission is to go into all the world. But you will never be obedient to the Great Commission until you are obedient to the Great Command. You know what the Great Command is? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's the Great Command. And until we love God as we ought, we will never be obedient as we ought. Amen? Because obedience always precedes, or our love precedes our obedience. Let me give you two considerations concerning this mandate that God has given to us. Number one, His power. Sometimes we have this idea that it's all up to us. No, it's not. It's never been up to you, and it is not. it will never be up to you. I can't control how somebody responds to what something I say. So he says in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He says, you have my power going in and through you, so it's not about you. You don't have to convince people. In fact, I'd rather you not convince people. And we'll get to that verse in just a moment. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. We have the power of God working in and through us. We don't have to do it in and of ourselves. But can I challenge you that if you're going to give something away, you better have the power of God working in through you as you do it. So there's the consideration of His power, but not only that, there's a consideration of His presence. Just before He gives us the great commission, He reminds us of something in verse 20. He says, And remember, I am with you always to the end of the earth. His presence. Isn't it amazing that God's presence goes with us? We need that. Amen? We need that. We need His presence. Well, I said it's not about us convincing somebody. Let's look at our motive. In other words, what our motive should be. I think there are three things that our motive must consist of. Number one, a sincere heart. Number two, a seriousness of hell. And number three, the shortness of time. Number one, sincere heart. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2. And if you would follow along as I read verses 3 through 6. It says, For our exhortation did not come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Right off the bat, he says, I'm not here to deceive you. I'm not here to persuade you with impure thoughts or mindset or air or anything else. He said, instead, verse 4, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please people, but rather God who examines our heart. He said, listen, I'm not just here just because. I'm not just here just because I want to please you as a person. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to irritate you. I'm not trying to take you off. But I'm not here to please you either. I'm here to do one thing, and it's to carry the message that God has placed on my heart to give to you. So then he says, verse 5, so it says, For we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness. He says, before God, He knows our heart. Our motives were right. They were sincere. They were not to deceive you. They were not to trick you. They were not to give you wrong ideas. And verse 6, he says, And we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. What's he saying here? He goes, I just have a message that you need to hear, and by God's grace, I want to share it with you. 
You know, I think a lot of us have lost a sense of urgency. Which is number two, concerning our motive, the seriousness of hell. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41, it says, Then he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. The seriousness of hell. Say the word hell with me. Hell. Isn't that a terrible word? Isn't it a terrible word? Does anybody else like to say that word even? We don't even like to say the word. But let me give you a sense of reality. It is where people who refuse to trust Christ and don't accept Jesus Christ as their Savior go. How do I know that? Isn't that being a little bit biased about your faith, your denomination, your religion? Well, hopefully we don't have any of that. We have, we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But, isn't that just be a little bit one-sided, narrow-minded? No, it's not. Because in John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. God's word says, unless a man comes to know Jesus Christ and has a relationship with him, he cannot see heaven. He will be eternally separated from God the Father. And I'm convinced that God gives us opportunities on a regular basis to share our faith, to give a nugget of truth to someone, and oftentimes we're just too big a hurry to take the time to do it. Anybody agree? Because we're just too busy. It's not that we just don't care. It's not that we just don't love our neighbor. We're just busy. We have stuff to do. God understands that. I'm convicted of this. I have lost the sense of urgency at times. The urgency of, hey, we don't know when we're going to die. We don't know when Christ is going to come. Right? Those are two factors that none of us knows. I mean, none of us gets up in the morning and says, Woo! I think you're going to die today! Woo! We don't have that. We don't know. Things happen every day that we didn't plan for, we didn't expect, that we didn't choose, right? Every day someone gets in an accident that they never intended to get in, and they life was life is passed on that they didn't plan for, they didn't choose, they didn't intend for that to happen, but it did. Happens every day, all across America, in every town. People die who did not expect to die. You say, well, Pastor, you're trying to scare us? No! I just want us to understand the sense of urgency in sharing our faith. And number two, we don't know when Christ is going to come. That ought to shock us into reality a little bit. We think that we're going to live however we want to live, do whatever we want to do, have the smorgasbord of Christianity. I think I have a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and just kind of partake of those aspects of Christianity that appeal to me. But the rest of it, you know, that's for you know people who are more holier than I, and you know, a little more committed than me, and they're they're into it just a little bit big, you know, deeper than I am. We don't get to choose those things. There is a seriousness of hell, and if we are not vocal about our faith. Do we really have it? And then number three is shortness of time. In John chapter 4, verse 35, 
says, don't you say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. There's a multitude of people all around us that need to know Jesus, right? What are we doing about it? You say, well, Pastor, I can't control their hearts. I can't control whether or not they'll listen to me. I can't control what they... I agree 100%. 110%. God never called me control the outcome of sharing my faith. Never did. In fact, practically speaking, I think God gives us a good example of that. In fact, turn your Bible to John chapter 4, just for a moment. John chapter 4, you see the story of the woman at the well. In John chapter 4, I'm going to take the time to read through the passage because I want us to get the whole story. John chapter 4, verse 1. It says, When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee, and he had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was worn out from his journey, sat down at the well, and it was about noon. So here is Jesus, he's going through Samaria, and he comes to what is known as Jacob's well, and he's thirsty, he's been traveling, and he just takes rest right there at the well. Verse 7, a woman at Samaria come to, came to draw water, and Jesus says, give me, give me a drink. Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep, so where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than uh, our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, and as did his sons and livestock. And Jesus said, verse 13, Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well, a water uh, springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. She didn't quite get it at first, did she? I mean, she's like, oh, if I drink of the water that you're talking about, I'll never have to come get water again. And here I am, a woman, having to go get water for my livestock and for my family and so forth. Uh, who wants to do that? Give me this water so I won't get thirsty again. And Jesus understands that she doesn't quite understand just yet. Verse 16. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman, verse 19, Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. Because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here. And when the true worshipers will still worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. 
And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Now let me ask you a question in our minds. Was this a two-minute conversation? I can't imagine it being a two-minute conversation. I can imagine as Jesus is weary from his travel, and this woman is coming, they sparked up a conversation, they're talking about the water, you don't even have a bucket, ha, 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 they're talking back and forth, and all of a sudden Jesus turns the conversations about things that are more spiritual. And there's contemplation going back and forth here. And the woman's like, wait a minute. Um, how do you know that I've had five husbands and the one I'm with now is not my husband? This is not a two-minute conversation. It's not saying, do you want to trust Jesus as your Savior? Just pray this prayer after me right now. Let's do it. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, that's not the scenario taking place here. He's offering something that will change her life, right? And this is an opportunity for her to understand in detail what is happening. And I can only imagine that this conversation that is taking place is starting to captivate her heart. And she gets it. Then the disciples come back and they're bringing food with her. They look down at verse 39. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said. Wait a minute. Did I, did I miss something here? So, so, something, something's missing here. Because I, I don't see where she went to Jerusalem Baptist Bible College. Um, got a, got a, a major in evangelism. Yeah, I, I'm not seeing it. Here's my point. Several times as she left, it says that many people believed. Not everyone will believe your message. It's okay. That's between them and God. But she was faithful to go tell what happened to her. In fact, God's word tells us that she went and left her water buckets and began to tell the men of the city. So verse 39, now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him. And he stayed there for two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. See, there will come a point that what you say really doesn't matter. It matters what Jesus says. Right? Many believed. You see, what happened to her was this. She simply told someone else what happened to her. If Jesus has impacted your life, if Jesus has made a change in your life, he's made a difference in your life, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you are a follower of Christ, it is simply telling someone else what Jesus has done for you. It's that simple. You say, well, Pastor, is it really that simple? I believe it is. Turn your Bibles over to Acts chapter 11 just for a moment. Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, beginning with verse 19. 
And we see an example not only from the woman at the well, but also from the life of Stephen. Verse 19 says this, Now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. I love this, verse 21. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Some do believe. Some will respond to the Holy Spirit's working in their life. I don't know who the some are. But I know that more will be saved than not if I open my mouth versus not opening my mouth. Say, well, Pastor Ken, is this really easy? No, it's not easy. I used to have people come up to me and say, you know, from my churches, well, it's easy for you to share your faith. You've never met a stranger. True, I can speak to a complete stranger. I'm that guy that's sitting there at Wegmans, and the guy in front of me is talking. I'm just like, next thing, we got a conversation going. Got the gift of gab, what can I say? But the reality is this. Sharing faith in Jesus Christ is a whole different level. Family members, that's a different subject altogether. They already think you're crazy. You're a preacher. But the bottom line is this. Either I'm going to walk in obedience and share my faith, or I'm not. We have to get beyond all the excuses. Get beyond all the, well, I really don't know what to say. Get beyond all the, well, I don't have all the verses memorized. Get beyond all the excuses. And it comes down to simply telling someone else what Jesus has done for you. Who's our model? Well, we know that. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Jesus Christ told us flat out. Verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. If that was His purpose, what do you think ought to be our purpose as followers of Christ? I mean, if Jesus says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost, if that was his purpose, what should be our purpose? Should it be different than what Jesus' was? Or should it be similar? But not only his purpose, but his promise. When we came to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, he made a promise to those who first followed him. In Matthew chapter 4, in verse 19, he said, follow me and I will make you fish for people. He says, I'll make a promise to you. Follow me and I'll help you fish for people. Why? Because his purpose was to seek and to save those who are lost. And if that was his purpose, that ought to be our purpose. Can I just say, I don't think we've done a real good job of this as a church. And I say we. In fact, I sat down with a man who has been in ministry for 40 plus years. And uh, he said, Ken, tell me some things that, are, that God's doing in your church. And I shared a few things. And then he said to me, tell me a few things that you'd like to see God do in your church. And I said, uh, I'm praying that we would just catch a vision for soul winning. 
for evangelism, for outreach, for people sharing their faith. And he goes like this, that's on you. It's on you. Not like having a preacher who's been preaching for 40-some years put his finger out in your, in your chest and say, it's on you. You know what my flesh wants to do? But, 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 but. And I just looked at him and said, you're absolutely right. And I sat there and I thought, what am I not doing now that I used to do? What am I doing less frequently than I used to do more frequently? Don, remember when we lived in Tip? There were a lot of Saturdays we went out and visited the entire town. Jake may not remember that. David may not remember that. But we used to go out walking through the entire town. Because it was a small town, a small farming community. We used to go out all the time. You know what I don't catch myself doing as much anymore? Going out. Why? Because I'm busy. Got stuff to do. Things that need to get done. And he kind of looked at me and he says, this older gentleman, he kind of looked at me and says, so what is your personal goal? How many people there are you asking God to share your faith with in a given week? And I looked at him and I said, I don't have a goal right now. You know, when I lived in Tip, I had a goal. And you know what I saw in Tip? Results. Because I made it a priority. So I've recommitted to work on that, to set some goals, to see God do something. Because I can't expect you to do what I'm not doing. So I'm going to do it. I'm making it my commitment. Holy Spirit said, you, you have to do this. You have to do this. I challenge you. Well, you set a goal. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. It was the purpose of Jesus Christ. It ought to be our purpose. To share with others what Jesus Christ has done for you. In conclusion, I want to share two more passages. Maybe three or four or five, I don't know. Matthew, I'm sorry, Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Though one goes along weeping, carrying the bag of seed, he will surely come back with shouts of joy carrying his sheaves. When's the last time we prayed for someone that we knew was not going to heaven? When's the last time we shed a tear for the lost? When's the last time we've given it two minutes thought that if I say nothing, they're going to hell? When's the last time I've prayed that God would give me souls for my labor? Have you ever done that? Has it ever been a care, a concern of yours to share your faith with someone who needs to hear, who needs to have a relationship with Jesus? They who sow in tears will reap shouts of joy. In fact, in Luke chapter 15, verse 10, it says, I tell you in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. If you weep, the angels will weep in joy with you. Isn't that awesome? Last passage, Matthew chapter 9. Verse 
verses 35 through 38. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages. And let me just say this, just from the very first sentence of that verse. He said in Matthew 28, 19, go. He's modeling what he is telling his disciples to do. He doesn't just say, you should do this. He's exemplifying it. Verse 35, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and rejected, like sheep without a shepherd. Let's just stop right there for a moment. Don't read the last of it. Don't, don't look up. Thanks, Matt. Compassion leads to action. Or it's not compassion. I say it again. Compassion leads to action. Or it's not compassion. Compassion always results in action. Otherwise it's just empathy. See a lot of us we say I feel compassion towards something. But if the compassion doesn't lead you to do something about it. It's not compassion. It's just empathy. A lot of us are empathetic towards those who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But let's take it a step beyond empathy to compassion and do something about it. Does that make sense to you? Compassion without action is not compassion, it's empathy. And empathy doesn't change anything. So you feel bad and move on. So, the, oh, bummer for them, move on. Empathy does nothing. Compassion changes everything. If we're going to be people who truly have Christ's compassion, there has to be action. And then he says this, verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Stop right there. Can you imagine? Put yourself in this scenario just for a moment. Here's an entire field that's needing to be harvested. But the combine's down. It's got two flat tires. Pistons are through the motor block and it don't work. I'm just making up stuff because I don't really know how it doesn't work. Leave that to Brian. But it's shot. And there's a problem. Because if you can't harvest when it needs to be harvested, you'll lose the crop. That's almost happened in my side of the family. My mom's side of the family, they farm thousands of acres. And there's been times that during the harvest, when they needed to get the harvest out, the fields were flooded. They had to call in combines with big tractor, what do you call them, tracks on them, from Canada to come in and get them out, otherwise they would have lost the crops. He's saying the fields are white unto harvest, but the workers are few. I don't know how many people are in our church today. 75, 80, 85? There should be 75 to 85 workers in the field. Sounds good in theory, right? But what about in principle? 
But then he goes on. He says, Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. This is Jesus speaking. He said, Pray. Because we have a field that is white unto harvest. Pray that more workers will step forward. I don't know about you, but this has got to change. It has to change. In our midst, it has to change. Anybody agree? This has to become a priority for us. We're going to talk more about this in our annual meeting. But if we know Jesus Christ and we have a relationship with Him, we should want to share that with others. It'll change their future. It'll change their eternal life. It'll change your destiny. If you had something that incredible, wouldn't you want to give it away? Then it has to become a priority. Over the next year, I'm going to invite you to join the 511 initiative. 511 initiative. You want to take a pen and write it down? Here's what it is. Five people. Five people that you'd ask God to lay in your heart to pray for one minute once a day. Five people for one minute once a day. I hope you'll join me. How many of us know five people who know, you need to know Jesus? Uh, yeah, all of us. Every one of us. If we would pray for five people for one minute once a day. Someone once said, we seldom forget the names of the people that we're praying for. The more we pray for them, the more they'll be on our mind, the more we'll want to talk with them, speak to them, do things with them. Remember, it's all about investing so that we can invite them. We invest in the hearts of people so that we can invite them to a relationship with Jesus. This conversation with the woman at the well didn't happen in two seconds. It was time invested. And the Holy Spirit began to work. And when she trusted Jesus, she went out and told others what happened to her. If you know Jesus, it's simply telling others what's happened to you. And if you think it's been so great, why not invite others to that same experience, that same truth that could change their life for all eternity? Begin to pray. That's what he ended with. It starts with prayer. Pray. Pray that God would use you. That God give you boldness and courage. Well, he's already given you the power, Acts 1.8. 1 Timothy, he's given you not the spirit of fear, but a power of love, sound mind. He's given you what you need if you'll just take it and use it. But pray for boldness. Pray for courage. Pray for opportunities. Pray that God would use you and open doors of opportunity that you can't open yourself. That's my prayer for this summer. Is that God would just use His Word, His Spirit, to share faith. It's the greatest thing we have. Amen? I mean, it's not just a get-out-of-hell card. I hope it's not that to you. I hope you understand it's a relationship with Jesus Christ for all eternity. Let's pray.